Ha-ha! Dance Gavin, dance, baby. You are now listening to... You are now listening to... You are now listening to... Swan Casting, the official unofficial podcast for Swan Corps. Where you can get down with Brown Town. Get stuck, because you're the clown now. And check your ballot to vote this dick right into... Where we discuss the good, the bad, the ugly of all things DGG. So don't be tardy for my Leaky Barbie TV party pee in the park. Because you won't want to miss this. So put it in my fist and squish and twist with the wrist and come with us as we give you nothing but... Hot takes, musical tastes, and unfiltered DGD opinionated race. Where feelings get hurt, but it's all good because it's for the love of Dance Gavin Dance. So turn up your headphones as we dive into... Swan Casting. Episode 9. In Pennsylvania, we got Rob. What up? In South Jersey, we have me, Shane. And we got rid of our old Matt, and now we have a new Matt. Say hello <laughs> to the Matt guys of lower definition. Yo, yo. What's up? Yeah, our, uh, our third is also named Matt, and he, he couldn't make it tonight, so. Oh. Uh, so, well, Matt's here. Yeah. He never, he never left. Consider this an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so how have you been? How have you been, Matt? I've been good, man. How about yourself? Doing all right. I mean, it's uh, we're still in this kind of weird state of the world, I guess, but right. we are we're alive, so that's positive. We're we're doing this podcast thing. It's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, I love podcasts. I'm actually super excited to do this. I listen. I'm like a total podcast junkie. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, I'm like super pumped. I actually checked out the. Uh, podcast you guys did with uh zach and then the one with kurt was pretty nice cool. it was cool too because i know those dudes and i was like oh they got to do a podcast that's cool <laughs> but yeah that's rad yeah zach came on before we like even had any listeners he was just like i'm game i was like oh cool <laughs> yeah 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 that's awesome yeah it's so cool he just like came on and was like playing riffs from like songs he's been a part of and i was like all right we'll we'll take that yeah <laughs> What uh, podcasts do you listen to besides ours, obviously? Yeah, um, the Joe Rogan experience is a big Sorry. one. Here, let me actually... Uh, I just started listening to Pure Pleasure. Have you guys heard of that one? No. It's with this dude. He used to be in Anatomy of a Ghost, and then he was in um, Portugal the Man for a little while. Oh. You guys ever heard of them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. So he's got a podcast, and he... Uh, yeah, actually, our guitar player Eddie just told me about him the other day, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll check it out." I'm an electrician, so I have a lot of like time to think, <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm gonna listen to podcasts. So, um, yeah, I've been been diving into that. I used to listen to the Chris Delia one, but you guys probably know he's kind of like inactive right now. Yeah. All right. Did something happen? Did he get canceled? Yeah. <laughs> You got canceled. So it's hard to not get canceled these days. I know, right? I gotta watch what I whatever I say on this because I don't. <laughs> I don't want to get canceled before the album comes out. <laughs> hey, we uh, we edit afterwards, so anything. Okay, sick. Like, oh shit! Shouldn't have said that. Like you wake right. up all night in a panicky sweat. Yeah. I'll clear it up for you. Right. Yeah. So I guess Matt, uh, I kind of wanted to get into uh, to start. Um, what kind of inspired you to start singing? I guess. How did you kind of get involved in doing that with music? It all started probably <laughs> when I was. God, I had to have been in like second or third grade. Actually, no, it was fifth. My grandma had just passed away, 
and we had a box of her old like miscellaneous things and there was a tape recorder in there my cousin had given me a drum set and used to always make me mixtapes of all the music he was listening to he was in high school i think when i was in fifth grade but he made me a mixtape of uh it was mxpx agent orange and operation ivy i would go to my grandma's house and listen to it on her couch and you know just be vibing out or whatever and yeah, she passed away and there was this box of her old things and there was a tape recorder in it and I had a drum set. I had an acoustic guitar that I'd found in a closet at the house and uh, I went into the garage and I just started tinkering and uh, that kind of set it off for me, I guess. I just started uh, recording like me and my buddies in elementary school and middle school. Just kind of grew from there. Wow. Sounds like it was fate. <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's it's kind of weird how it kind of happened. My mom, um, she'd been pa- playing piano since she was like six or seven. My dad was a singer. They used to be singers in this uh, thing called the RB Chorale, and they would sing show tunes and stuff. My parents are older. They're uh, my dad's eighty five, and my mom's twenty one. That's a joke. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put how old she is on, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so they were into, like, oldies and stuff, like Frank Sinatra and uh, Nat King Cole and Dodie Stevens and all these, like, big band 1950s pop people. Would you say that kind of shaped shaped your initial, like, musical taste? Or were you kind of like, that's kind of lame, like, I like this kind of stuff? Like, what would you say Um, about that? So, dude, it was weird. Like, my first CD was Yanni at the Acropolis. And I was, like, blown away. I was like, dude, this is so good, you know? And then my second CD was Smashing Pumpkins. It was the Infinite Sorrow two-disc album. I got both of them, and I was like, dude, these are, like, I don't know. Music is so crazy. Like, holy shit. I don't, I don't really remember that well how, how it all came about and, like, how it shaped me. But I do know that when my cousin was giving me those mixtapes, this was all after the Smashing Pumpkins album. Yeah. It really, like, broadened my vision, I guess, of what I thought was cool. I was probably the coolest kid in elementary school, too, listening to that stuff. <laughs> you right? And, uh, yeah, like, I was I was rolling into school in his hand-me-downs and listening to his music, and I was, like... <laughs> Balling out. You know, yeah, just, like, the embodiment of, like, him, but a fifth grader or whatever. And, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. And then, like, I, I found out about Metallica in like seventh grade or something or eighth grade and i was like dude so sick you know just (laughs) distorted guitars and just like the you know like i don't know i just i've always loved music and it wasn't really too much that i didn't like you know i had a pretty vast uh upbringing in the uh musical arts i guess Nice. Sounds like you had a pretty eclectic kind of upbringing musically, and you had obviously musical people in your family. They seemed like they inspired you. Um, I guess with with your kind of unique style uh, in music, like with your voice and things, how did you kind of, was it just your eclectic plethora of music that you listened to growing up to when you were older, when you started pursuing music in bands and things? Or like, how did you kind of develop the style that you kind of do today or when you started out in bands? So I didn't even sing until high school, probably. I was more into guitar and drums. I really wanted to play drums, but I just, 
I don't know. I never, I never had like a super nice kit or anything. And there were other guys in high school that were way better than me. Right. But I used to just kind of form all these like cover bands. They would last about a day or two in some poor person's garage or some poor parent's garage, I should say. <laughs> but I mean, I was in everything from like a Metallica cover band to a Blink-182 cover band, which I think everybody's been in, you know, just doing that kind of stuff. And there was one... It was one buddy, his name was Ryan. I went over to his house to jam and he actually had a PA there. We were covering like Finch songs. Yeah, it was really cool. He's like, damn dude, like we need a singer. And I was like, I could probably sing that, you know? So I like got on the mic and then our other buddy, uh, Kevin was playing the drums and then Ryan was playing guitar. We were jamming it and I'm like, dude, this is it's pretty cool. Like I don't sound that bad. And I kept asking him like, hey, does that sound good or no? And they're like, dude, it sounds really good. So I was like, okay. And we kept jamming, kept jamming, and I don't know, it just kind of fell off after a while. Like, they were a little bit older than me, and they had girlfriends and stuff, and um, I was always super into BMX. So here's here's kind of how I segue into, like, actual bands. Okay. Was actually through BMX. I grew up with this guy, Aaron Farkas. He actually passed away, but uh, him and I used to ride bikes all the time, dirt jumps and, you know, just going nuts, being you know young he he was dating this chick and her neighbor was mark luciano which is one of the guitar players in lower d yep um not at the time he wasn't but um he was just like in high school played in band played saxophone actually but also played guitar and aaron had a drum set and he's like oh like we should start a band blah 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 i know this guy matt we can go to his house and jam like his parents are super cool it's totally fine so aaron rolls over with this dude mark we formed the red sky out of that little group of three people that was i guess it was 2002 or three when that all kind of came about so it was your first kind of original music venture was the red sky right yeah okay is that online anywhere can we listen to it it might be dude honestly on the tuber i found yeah i've done some stuff that i didn't release or like really send to anybody and it's on youtube and it's like (laughs) what the hell how did that even i think there's like like, something in garage band or something yeah it's just weird i don't know because we were recording on an on an apple so i was like well maybe they just automatically upload your stuff to youtube when you i don't know i don't know kind of even stupid to say that but I don't know. It's it's a mystery to me how it even got on there. And I asked Mark, I'm like, did you put that up there? He's like, nope. He's like, I don't even have it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I don't know. My answer is maybe. <laughs> you might be able to find Red Sky on there. Awesome. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, obviously, uh, myself, I'm a singer as well. And, like, I love hearing kind of your perspective on, like, you not singing until later on and, like, kind of being like, am I doing this right? Like, am I... How do I sound, guys? Like that's interesting to hear because you said like you hadn't sung until later. So it's obviously it's like kind of weird. Like you're trying it out in front of people and like you're like trying to figure it out in the moment, you know? Yeah. I mean, I had sang like in the shower or in the car or whatever, but never like attempted writing a song or like singing, yeah, in a setting where there was people around, you know? I think it's cool that you uh, you said you started out singing to Finch, where yeah, when I first I was like. Finch was one of the first post-hardcore bands that I got into. And uh, so when I heard Lower Definition for the first time, I was like, that guy kind of sounds like uh, Nate. Oh, really? 
I've never gotten that. It's always been Daryl from Glassjaw. Everybody's always like, oh, you sound mm. like Daryl. I'm like, well, that's cool. You know, I really like Daryl. He's probably one of the best, like, hardcore singers out there for sure. His name definitely comes up a lot on this pod with people and inspirations. Right, yeah. And that band. Yeah, they're, they're, they're something. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I guess, like, another uh, kind of point I wanted to talk to you about, because obviously... Um, we're kind of like a uh, a swan core dance gavin dance kind of podcast and i know that right. you kind of have an extensive history of dance gavin dance so yeah. uh kind of wanted to dive into that as well with you a little bit okay how'd you guys meet sorry so shoot we used to kind of i actually met them we were in houston texas um lower d had an off day we we found out that Pierce Savale is in town. They're like our hometown buddies. And um, we hit them up and we're like, hey, where are you guys playing tonight? We're going to cruise out. And they're like, oh, we're at this venue. I can't remember the name of it for the life of me. I don't know. It was in Houston, Texas. And uh, they were they happened to be on tour with DGD. And this is back when Johnny was in the band. And uh, given my first experience hearing Dance Gavin Dance ever was a live show with Johnny. And like, I was just like, what the hell, dude? Who is that guy? You know? <laughs> He's like a little redhead dude. He had like a little Jedi, little rat tail. <laughs> yeah. And I was, like, I was like, Jesus, you know, because he's, I, I think he's probably like five foot eight or something. I don't know. And like Will is more like six one, six two in height, you know, and I'm like, this little dude is singing that? He sounds huge. <laughs> like he just sounds like a powerhouse. He's huge, you know? And I, I just remember being in the crowd like, dude, what the hell is that? That's crazy. I mean, the whole band was just, like, amazing. But that was my first experience, like, hearing them or even, like, hearing of them, I believe. Yeah, that was that. Was that. I don't even know if I even met them. I think uh, we were just hanging out with Pierce the Veil the whole time. And then we played a show in Oregon. It was shortly... Oh, God, I can't remember. Dude, we're talking... 12 years ago it's really hard to remember way back um yeah it's way way back but we oh shoot there was a saints and sinners festival that was the show i think that was johnny's last show the first time around (laughs) yeah we yeah we were there for him like doing all the he was like late to the set and stuff he like walked out. Silverstein was on that that show too, right? Oh, dude, there were so many bands. It was a huge festival. Oh, okay. Skylit Drive was there. Glassjaw nice. opened it. Um, Against Me played. Whitechapel played. Yeah, there was tons of bands. Yeah, yeah a million bands. And um, yeah, Johnny was like four minutes late to the set or something. Or like they were playing the intro and he was like up in the stands somewhere. He's like, oh no, <laughs> supposed to be up there, you know. I blew it <laughs> yeah yeah we were there the next day when when he got kicked out we were all getting in the van or whatever and i won't go into detail because that was kind of a crazy crazy thing it's not really my place to talk about that yeah. i don't think either but there was like a, a blow up it wasn't necessarily like a a quiet because it was quiet to the fans like you know well it was quiet because i was in the van and the doors were closed <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't know what I don't even know what was being said, but it was it was pretty uh Yeah. We knew he got kicked out. You know. 
Yeah, well then after that, uh, your buddy Kurt joined up and the his first album, Death Star. Yeah. You were featured on one of the the like fan favorites, Rock Solid. Yeah, yeah. So I'll that was down. actually that was actually weird because we were on tour and we were in Oregon and all those dudes showed up to the show. They were in the studio. Kurt didn't show up. It was just uh Will mess and i think zach might have been there and um they were like they stuck around after the show they're like dude that was sick like you guys should come hang out yada 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 so we're like yeah for sure they had an apartment in beaverton um just like we had when we recorded with crummit and um so we went and hung out with them all night i think we even went to craig craig what's that dude's name craig erickson or something from rise yep i think we went to his house and chilled with him like i said this is all a blur so long ago mm-hmm. but yeah we uh we hit it off pretty pretty heavily and uh they're like dude do you want to be on our album and i was like sure <laughs> so like literally the next day like hangover and all we go into the studio and they're like all right like here's a song what do you think i'm like dude that's just really that's super sick i just <laughs> remember them being like all right this is what you're gonna do and i jumped in the booth and belted it out and then we're like all right we got to take off because we have a show somewhere else you know in like eight hours or whatever so yeah it was kind of a blur kind of a fast fast day i guess so they kind of had the part already kind of fleshed out for you to do yeah okay yeah because i hadn't even i hadn't even heard the song like it was like i just rolled in there and they're like all right this is what you're gonna do and they they like showed me the lyrics and i just like took i think i took like two takes two swings at it and they're like yeah that was good i'm like really all right cool and then yeah so you were like completely blind going in that's that's interesting yeah it was it was definitely it was cool i'd never done anything like that before usually i have time to like sit with songs and be like all right what am i gonna do kind of thing well i think coming from a, a fan perspective and i speak for a lot of the Lower D fans and Matt Matt Geisey fans, uh, I think it, you hit it out of the park on that on that song, dude. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And you did the the raise your hand if the system has missed you for uh, yeah for those who who don't know. Raise your fucking hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I love how you do like the the clean transitions into screams. Like, does that how's that on your voice live? It's pretty bad, man. Yeah, my by the end of a show, my my voice would be so hoarse and like jacked up, like I would barely even be able to talk. It was really tough, like doing that back to back to back. Plus, I was singing way high in my range because I was untrained and I didn't know like you don't have to sing that high, dude. I was writing stuff like way high in my register and i was always out of breath and then the screaming parts would come around like well there goes my voice it's gonna be gone in like two more songs and then you know whatever and i was smoking cigarettes which was like super bad on my voice and you know changing climate all the time like i was always sick it was um it was really really hard on my voice my body but wouldn't trade it for the world (laughs) you know (laughs) Yeah, Kurt, Kurt Travis actually talked about that on a podcast that he was on where he was like, dude, I used to smoke like a pack a day and like drink so much and like he just couldn't hang like touring. It was too much strain on his voice and on his body that it just like took a toll. 
Yeah. And then he was he was talking about now how he's like, dude, I'm like all about my tea and like sleeping and like getting that vocal rest. <laughs> it's just yeah. funny <laughs> the the transition as you kind of go through, you know, being in bands and like growing up and like honing in your craft, you know. Yeah, right. The nights that I was actually like getting my eight hours of sleep the next day would be like a really good show. But if we went and partied or something or like ran into friends um, and like hung out, that next show would just be like me dying on stage basically or whatever. <laughs> it was just, it was so brutal, <laughs> you know? Yeah, we've we've heard uh, DGD likes to party. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They're so fun to hang out with too. Like. All of them are just such like good vibes. Um, when I did that little uh, two week stint with them, that was that was a blast. Like it was so fun. Matt Matt Mingus is like a really good time. <laughs> he the quiet one. It's always yeah. <laughs> he's, always, he's always ready to hang. It's, uh, it's awesome. And Will too. Like. He's great to be around, and I love John. John's probably like my favorite lyricist, so being around him and kind of picking his brain is is uh, is always cool. What uh, can you give any like information on like? Uh, is there anything you you asked him about, or like picked his brain? How so? More information. Um, just more like, what do you like? What do you? What's how do you write songs? Like, what are you doing? Like, and he's like, I just write thoughts or whatever, and I'm like, really. It's all just random, huh? It's pretty gnarly, you know? Um, I, I don't remember specifically, but I do remember him saying that. His thoughts, yeah. he said? It's random? Yeah, like, he, I mean, he'd have concepts, but it was like, I don't know, more, I don't know, just random thoughts, you know? He wow. gave him like, I'm a genius, and it just kind of, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what I do, it just happens. He would, I mean, I've seen... When when we went into the studio with them, or when I went and did uh, Rock Solid, he had a bunch of like paper, like notebook paper, not in a binder, not not bound, you know, anymore. It was all like ripped pages out of out of a notebook, and it was all lyrics. And I think like he he writes his stuff maybe, or writes some of it, and then some of it maybe he just memorizes. I don't know, like. But he definitely puts a lot of thought and a lot of effort into it. It's just, you know. Yeah, he, has, he hasn't ran out of lyrics in like 12 albums, so. <laughs> yeah. And his, uh, his, ryth- his rhythms and stuff are, are really awesome too. Because like, screaming can get super mundane and like you're just like, oh, dude. It, it gets old, you know. But he always keeps it interesting, which, which I've always loved about him for sure. Yeah, that's yeah, definitely some... one of our... Favorite. We've talked about this amongst yeah. the, the three the three of us, yeah, our, uh, our other friend Matt as well. We kind of talked about how, um, you know, them doing, you know, 12 records and, like, it always feeling fresh from, like, all sides. Like, guitars, vocals, like, it always, it doesn't feel like they're spinning the same wheel again, you know? So it's right. interesting to hear that, that process from you hanging out with him and, like, in the studio, actually, how he prepares or, like, what he does. Yeah, his voice has changed a lot, too, over the years, you know? It's just so much, I don't know. He's just awesome. Super dope. Yeah, so when you were uh, playing the shows with DGD, so you had to cover all the, the Johnny songs, which I imagine's really hard. But, I mean, your vocal range is up there. How'd you feel about, like... Um, we actually, so they play in standard, 
and we tuned to drop D so it was a lot easier for me because I I mean normally like I can't hit those notes that's way out of my range you know um, I think as far as I know Johnny's the only person who can really sing that high you know I mean Kurt Kurt can get way up there but I think there's some notes that Johnny just I don't know yeah he has that range which like I'm sure you you felt it like the DBM2 stuff like I feel like was that lower was that a little easier to sing or oh yeah it was way easier to sing there was a lot less of him on that album too compared to downtown battle mountain yeah um the first one or whatever that first one like he yeah he's all over that that album yeah what was it what was it like kind of when you because i know on (laughs) i actually found this this is pretty crazy on reddit you posted, you know, about saying like, "Hey guys, I'm gonna be in a town near you uh, prior to the show happening." When you were filling in for for Johnny on that on that tour, what was it like? Kind of like, how much time did you have to prepare for that? Like, what was that like um, before you did it? And like, obviously, the fans of Lower D, how did they react to that kind of situation? Yeah, and how did it happen? Um, so, I'm an electrician, by the way. Um, it's my trade. Um, been doing that since high school. Every time I get in trouble, my dad would be like, "Get in the truck, going to work." I'm like, "All right, damn it." <laughs> but um, anyway, I'm at work with my cousin and uh, my dad, and I get—I don't know if it was like a a text or if it was a phone call, but it was Will, and he's like, "Hey, man." He's like, "It's Will." I was like, "Oh, what's up, dude?" And this is after Lower D broke up, obviously. And oh, I guess yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lordy had already broken up. He's like, hey, man, we got this tour coming up. We were wondering if you'd want to do it. And I was like, well, I got a lot of work to do. Like, I, I can't just, like, up and leave my job, you know. And we're doing a house right now. And he's like, oh, like, he's like, well, we just need, like, somebody to sing. And I was like, oh, I thought you wanted me to, like, come do merch or something. I don't know. I was like, I don't know. I don't really want to go on a tour and sit at a merch table. And uh, I was like, well... That would actually be really sick. I, I miss being on stage and stuff. So he's like, yeah, can you sing these songs? And I'm like, probably not. I was like, they're really high. And he's like, well, just send me like a, a demo of it. And I was like, all right. So he sent me, I think it was Lemon Meringue Tie or something um, with no vocals. And... Um, I got home and I started tracking everything and I it's weird like if I'm singing each individual part like I can hit all those notes but doing the whole song all the way through there's just no way like I run out of air and I'm like dude I'm beat so I recorded it all and he's like damn like that's awesome I was like yeah it was it's not gonna happen like that live like can we tune down or something he's like yeah we could try it out he's like we're gonna send you a plane ticket tour starts in like two weeks pack your bags so i was like all right cool so i flew out there i was there for like three or four days or something before the tour started and i stayed with mingus and yeah we just practiced a few times we tried a couple different tunings and then hopped in the van and went (laughs) yeah it was crazy now how how long was it obviously lower d had broken up at this point how long was it until like in between your last show with lower d or like last time you sang and then being on stage with those guys 
it was two years because I think that tour was 2012 and then our last show our last lower D show I think was 2010 or something mm -hmm. we played with the day to remember and pierce the veil in Vegas okay. that's all I remember now were you were you still singing like in general or like were you just kind of like the band was done you just kind of were doing other things um yeah I was still singing Mark and I still were jamming a lot and uh writing like hardcore music and uh hip hop and all kinds of random stuff we even like tinkered with edm for a little bit because i think at the time that was getting like a lot of attention and there was some people coming out that i was like dude that's that's really dope this is maybe i don't know if you could write an edm song whatever so yeah we were kind of tinkering with all sorts of different music and just kind of like having fun you know not really doing anything serious but I even started like a little project with Zachary Guerin. We wrote, well, actually I wrote like three or four songs and I would just bounce and bounce them out to him. And then he would kind of tinker with them, like chop them up and like flip them around and do all kinds of stuff and send them back. And we were kind of messing with that for a little bit, but, um, strawberry girls was kind of popping off. So he, um, you know, he had his priorities and stuff and I'm, you know, I was just messing around anyway. Now, let's get that Strawberry Girls feature going. They always have a few guest vocalists. <laughs> All right. Yeah, dude, those guys are sick too. So much talent in the DGD world. Is that what we call it now? The DGD world? Yeah. <laughs> the Swanco world, the DGD yeah. world, whatever whatever they refer to. Swaniverse. Yeah. <laughs> So now, did they offer you like a, a full time spot, or were you just like, and you're like, I have a job now, or um, just a... no? It was it was weird. Like towards the end of the tour, Will was kind of like, "Dude, we should start a band," and I was like, "Yeah, man, like, sure." You know, there wasn't really any talk about me being in the band. I think I don't know if they had already been talking to somebody and just like it was a timing thing, or I don't know, but um. So, there was somebody else they were trying out it wasn't Tillian want to I don't know dude I don't want to speak out of turn or say something wrong I want to say it was Cove from Seosin oh my god that would have been sick I don't know though like for some reason that's ringing a bell like we're talking 10 years ago so yeah or it's been 8 years I guess but yeah so Will was like dude we should start a band like and he's like I got a few jams like check these out so tour ended um i came back home kept working and then will called he's like hey do you think lonel robinson would want to be in a band with us lonel's my really good friend um him and i kind of grew up together in the music thing and uh he was like the best drummer in town like everybody knew it yeah, so him and I were tight, and Will's like, dude, I think, God, what was his old band? Of Machines? Um, yeah. I think they had met somehow on tour, and he's like, dude, it would be sick if we got Lonnie. Hit him up. So I hit up Lonnie, and Lonnie's like, yeah, dude, I got nothing going on. He's like, I, I think he was touring with Emma Rosa or something as their drum tech, or maybe of Mice and Men at that point. I don't really remember. Dude, I have a terrible memory. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're doing Ooh, pretty well. Cast ever. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Lonnie was super down, and then we hit up this other guy, Kenneth Morse. 
who was another San Diego local from a hardcore band called Palo Morris. And then um, we just started writing some songs. Actually, Will had already brought, I don't know, like three or four songs to the table. And we just kind of learned those. And then I wrote stuff to him. We went to the studio. I have no idea where those demos even are. I've looked for them. I'm like, dude, I don't even know. Maybe Will has them. Oh, and you know what? Like a year ago, Zach... So Zach wound up joining that project too. And he he laid some stuff down. And then... Um, what was our bass player's name? Tim Fierick. He laid some bass down too. So it, it started becoming something. And then Lon L joined Let Live. And then DGD wrote an album. And then boom, all my friends are gone. So it's just me. And I was like, all right, cool. But, Why aren't these songs on YouTube? <laughs> I know, right? It's Because only, only crappy stuff gets released on YouTube. Nothing good. <laughs> It's. I mean, it At sounds least like mine. you guys had a super group there. Honestly, it um, it really was. It was turning into one. Um, the demos that we did, they were really premature. Like we had only. So Will came down. He he lived down here for like a month, and we were jamming like as much as we could. And then we went into the studio and recorded. I think it was six or seven songs. I tracked vocals to like two or three of them, and then he had to fly back. And then, you know, everything was fell apart again. Damn. Yeah. If you ever, if you ever get your hands on them, please send them our way. Oh like, yeah, I totally what, will. What a what was we won't the, release them. We just want to hear them first. Yeah, 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 yeah. Should listen and smile. Right. <laughs> what was the like? How would you describe the sound of like all you guys in a room? Like, do you remember what it sounded like? How would you describe it? It was kind of like. It was almost like a pop rock band. It was kind of, really? yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't like DGD, and it it had like a lot of like groove, like I don't know, dude. It, I don't know how to explain it. I was not doing my normal thing. Like I wasn't screaming or anything. It was just, um, I don't know. It was kind of chill, honestly. Like it was something wow. you could just like listen to with your girlfriend and be like, oh, this is tight. Um. Kind of minus the berry. Have you ever heard minus the bear? I literally <laughs> flew out to go to Seattle to see their uh, their final final uh, show. So oh, I now you got to find that for us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, this is the best worst news I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm like so stoked on it now, and it's just like I'll never, I'll never know. I'm very bad in Zoom, sorry. <laughs> 2020 strikes again. I know, right? God, this year sucks so bad. All right, so let's let's talk about some of the, the good old days pre-COVID and uh, getting some lower definition stuff. Lower definition formed before you joined. How did you end up in the band? Okay. So, they, so Red Sky, it was Mark and myself. And we added this drummer, Kyle, and I could not for the life of me tell you who the bass player was at the time because we, we never had like an actual bass player. We had like four or five different bass players at all times, like different bass player every show. And um, we played a battle of the bands at this place called Epicenter, and it was against Lower D, and we won. And I was like, what? Oh shit! Uh, yeah, I was like, <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, it's so stupid to even do those, but when you're when you're young and you're like just trying to play shows, you wind up on those a lot and um yeah, it was a lot of fun and, and uh we we kind of got to know them and we started to build a relationship, started playing shows with them, going out to like El Centro and Temecula and like playing Soma with them. And um they started like blowing up. They they had a they had an EP out. It was like two songs. And they're like, oh, we're going to go on tour. And I'm like, what? You guys are going on a tour? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we're, we're just going to do like a West Coast thing. I'm like, just going to do a West Coast thing? Dude, that's gnarly. You guys are freaking famous. You know, like, dang, I want to do a tour. So they um, they kicked out their guitar. They, they, they did the tour. The guitar player, he his name was, oh, I don't want to do names if I'm going to start talking. Oh, dude, I can't talk about some of this stuff. They had a falling out with their guitar player. He he was having problems. Mm-hmm. They kicked him out, and then they hit up my guitar player, Mark, and they're like, hey, you want to be in the band? We're a touring act. And he's like, hell yeah, dude, that's all I've ever wanted. So he quit the Red Sky and joined Lower D. And this is kind of where I was like, all right, cool, I don't have a band now because like, the guy who writes all the songs is gone. <laughs> so yeah he joined lower d they wrote like a five song ep and it was like super good you know young me was like dude this sucks like what am i gonna do stupid mark <laughs> you know i was just all <laughs> mad you know because really there wasn't at the time there wasn't too much talent as far as like guitar playing went like mark he had a full ride to sdsu for playing saxophone so he he knew how to write a song and he knew a lot about theory and stuff and i was like damn i i can't really replace him so i'm just gonna fold on the band and just go join something that sucks or whatever i wound up meeting these dudes they were in a band called crimson letter and they were kind of like a metal band and uh i was like damn you guys are pretty good you know and they're like yeah we need a singer, yada yada yada. You should be in our band. And I was like, all right, cool. So I like went and tried it out, and I was like, dude, this is really good. Like, these guys are really talented. Um, I'm gonna go with it. So um, we wrote a couple songs, and then they're like, oh, we should change the name because it's like a new band now, and we have a singer. And so we called the band the Remedy. I, I saw in the email you guys had like mentioned that, so yep. I tried to touch on that. But yeah, we did that. Played a couple shows with Lower D. It was still just kind of like... Ooh, what a slap in the face. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was like, it was good, you know, like, those dudes are super talented, and um, it was a lot of fun, but did they didn't have the same work ethic that I did, I guess. They were, they were a little bit younger than me, and they weren't really, like, as ready to just do whatever it took to, like, play yeah, shows yeah. all the time, and just, like, practice all the time, and yeah. write all the time, and so it was kind of like, I was... I don't know. I was on deck for something bigger, I guess, is how I felt or how I see it now. Mm-hmm. And then I get a phone call from Tino and he's like, hey, do you want to come jam? And I was like, yeah, sure. And him and I are friends. Like I used to drive down to um, Chula Vista just to meet up with Eddie and Tino at Lolita's and eat a burrito and then drive all the way back an hour home to Escondido. And just like, I don't know, we were homies. So I went down there to jam one day we were just jamming like songs they'd already had like with Jordan's vocals on them and I'm just singing stuff that's already been written you know and Mark like kind of pulled me aside he's like hey dude I'm gonna get you in the band I was like what 
He's like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, you're gonna be in the band now. And I don't want to say everything that was said, but I was like, all right, yeah, dude, I'd love to. And then Tino's like, hey man, what do you think? Like, is this something you'd want to do? You want to like, you want to be a rock god? <laughs> 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 you know, I was like, yeah. And I, at the time, I think I was like 17. And I was like, yeah, I just gotta like ask my mom and dad, <laughs> you know, and and Classic. so yeah, so I asked them, and they're like, yeah, like can we meet this these guys? Like they already knew Mark or whatever, but they're like, can we meet Tino? Can we like meet Eddie or somebody? Like can we take them to dinner? We kind of want to know what you're doing. Like we don't want to just like let you. Drop, yeah, it's just kind of weird, you know, when your kid tells you like, oh, I'm gonna go on tour with a band. It's like. <laughs> Pump the brakes. <laughs> what about college? <laughs> How about that? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Tino put this like press packet together, like all legit. He had like the the header on there, and it's like lower definition uh, tour schedule. Like it showed like previous tours, the all the discography, like all the history, and I was like, damn, dude, you really put them together. So. Yeah, we went to dinner and he kind of like laid out a plan for the band that like impressed my parents. And they're like, yeah, go have fun, you know, live your dream. They they always wanted me to do that, but they were, you know, they were just checking to make sure I wasn't screwing up, I guess. Good parents. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I don't think their singer had been kicked out yet at that point because they didn't want to like not have somebody lined up before they got rid of who they had. Or something yeah i think that's how it went so they're like all right so we have one show and then we're gonna be kicking this dude out and then you're gonna be in the band i was like all right yeah whatever they're like you should come to the show though i was like all right cool so i went to the show the dude quit on stage somebody told him that i was joining the band and it wasn't me and it might have been mark not, not <laughs> a blast but i think i don't know he found out somehow and he quit on stage and like after the show, he like came up to me. He's like, "You could have it, bro." I was like, "Oh man, thanks for your blessing." Yeah, I was like, this "I didn't want it to go down like, like I this. didn't want." Yeah, I didn't like even want to. It's not like I would like sought after like getting him kicked out of his band or anything. And it's not like I. Yeah. Well, there was no like bad blood. I actually really liked the guy. Um, he was a cool dude. But you were the other the other girl. I was the other. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh, I was the I'm leaving you for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was the yeah Sancho. We'll call it the Sancho. So uh, I guess so. By the time you guys recorded Moths, you were already a, a full time band member. Like, it, was stuff for that already written or? Oh, so yeah. When I joined, I joined in. Oh god, dude! It was like December of two thousand and five or something like that. We immediately like started practicing like every day. Well, not practicing, but writing. We wrote all new material. Moths took us. I mean, because we were also playing shows. We were playing shows on their old music, but writing new music. And then live, we would like slip in a new song. And be like, hey, what you think? And then you know, if the crowd liked it or whatever, it seemed like it was a good song. We would keep it, keep working on it, so on and so forth. And then after about six months of that. We jumped into the studio. Well, actually, no. God, dude, this sucks. I, I seriously. All right, so I skipped a bunch of stuff. So we did a two-song EP with Jaime from Pierce the Veil. Pierce the Veil. 
so yeah, we did that. We did two songs. It was uh, Her Last Winter and Higher Than Kites were the two songs we did. Vic Fuentes featured on one of them. I think it was Higher Than Kites. Yeah, yeah. Higher Than Kites. Yeah, it was like, it was a crazy time for me because Lower D was like such a popular band. They had already like been on the cover of MySpace and it was just like, whoa, dude, like all my dreams are coming true. Like I'm finally going to do something with music. Well, not that I wasn't doing something with music, but it, it seemed like it was going to be like a career, you know? And I was like, dude, I'm going to be able to do this for the rest of my life. Just write songs and sing. So yeah, cut back to Moths. That took about six months to write. We called around looking for people that would record a seven song EP for like 500 bucks. Couldn't really find anybody. <laughs> and then um, Brian Greider, we called him and we're like, hey can we do two songs with you and he's like yeah when you guys want to come in we're like um like tomorrow we're ready to go he's like all right yeah he's like this is my rate like you know we're like oh yeah that's that's too much money we can't afford that he's like oh all right sorry sorry then like find somebody else so we're like all right for sure thank you anyway and um like a day or two later he called tino and he's like hey man I'll record you guys. It's fine. Just just bring me whatever you can. Like we'll do we'll do a couple songs and just like yeah yeah he like he, I don't know and I I'm still friends with him and he tells me all the time he's like I don't know why I did that he's like I have no idea he's like I just I had to pay <laughs> pay overhead on my studio or something I don't know he's like I don't know why I did that he could, but he could it turned out <laughs> yeah it turned out that after he did that EP um, that two song EP which were just songs from Moz. He like blew up. He was like the biggest audio engineer in San Diego. Like he was, his phone was blown up and he was constantly busy. And he's like, thanks, Lower D. Like you guys changed my life too. It was a good investment on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we went back after those two songs released, we started generating some more money and uh, we were able to go in there and do the, the Moz EP. I think it was like seven songs. Yeah. Yeah. Like after we did that, we, it just seemed like the world was watching but it wasn't the world. It was probably, you know, just MySpace and, you know, SoundCloud. But it just seemed like all of a sudden we just blew up. And um, we had labels. Like, we had actually made press packets. And we were going to Warp Tour, handing them out to, like, people in bands. Like, Pete Wentz from Fallout Boy. <laughs> we, like, made a press packet. And we're like, Pete, Pete, <laughs> take our press packet. You know, like, <laughs> sign us. And, uh... It's like an ongoing joke too to this day. Like, remember that press packet we gave to Pete Wentz? <laughs> he ne- he never called us, you know. And like Chiodos was around at the time, and they were going hot and heavy. And um, I think we did Sports Arena with them. I think it was Taste of Chaos or something. And I don't know. It just seemed like we were getting all kinds of attention from like the right people. Because I remember Craig Owens coming up to me after the show, and he's like, "Dude, that was so good." I'm like, "What?" you're Craig Owens you're not supposed to care you know and he, he was just like really cool you know and he's like dude he's like you're you're awesome bro like you got it you know and he he could probably tell that I was pretty young and uh I don't know if he was just being nice but I really appreciate that because that kind of like it drove me to like try harder and be like all right cool it gave me a little bit of confidence but it also made me be like all right well like I'm here I might as well live it up you know yeah, I'm kind of losing track of what we were talking about. <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we were just talking about how you uh, moths. Yeah. Like if if you uh, 
were part of the recording process. Or was oh yeah, 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 yeah. I was. Yeah, I write. I write all my own lyrics and melodies and stuff. If that's the question. Did you get any like since you were the new singer? Did you get any like pushback? Like when we were talking to Kurt, like it was just like, oh fuck this guy, he's not Johnny Craig. Did you get any pushback? Yeah, yeah. It's like new guys, fucking way better. Yeah. So the first two song EP I did with Lower D was like complete garbage. I went in there with like a sore throat. It was I wasn't ready, like mentally, and like the songs weren't ready really. To- be like oh let's go record them like i i don't know i think i feel like i'd only been in the band for like a month and i was still kind of like trying to figure out who i was in this band like not trying to replace or mimic somebody else but be my own person in the band you know and like kind of evolve as my own thing those first songs were like really bad and like people (laughs) i don't know every everybody seemed to like them but there was a lot of people that were like dude, this guy sucks. Why did you kick out the other guy? Or like, why did the other guy quit? Or what the hell? You know, I kind of knew that was going to happen going into it. I was like, yeah, not everybody is going to be stoked on this. Cause I was almost like not stoked on it. Cause I was a fan of the band too. I was a fan of the old singer and I was like, who knows what this band's going to be with me in it. You know? Yeah. I got through it. It was no big deal. I mean, I got the same thing when I did the thing with uh, Dance Gavin Dance. Like, if you go on YouTube, there's people like, that guy sucked. <laughs> like, why Why would you even pick him to do that? Or like, <laughs> God, where's Johnny? You know, it's like, dude, these guys got to pay their bills, bro. <laughs> like, they can't Full just like not be a band because Johnny's not not in it anymore, you know? Well, but. you were just one of many casualties to the, the lead singer. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Kurt's taken a beating, or probably used to. Now I'm sure it's different because he kind of, you know, he established he himself did, in other areas. Yeah, he, he paved his way in that band and like created something really awesome, you know. Which in the beginning, you know, people people don't always give you a chance to do that. They just like they hear something like this isn't Johnny, this isn't this isn't Jordan, this isn't. Britney Spears, <laughs> you know, People which is fine. Like a lot of times they don't. I'll say that I'll, I'll be honest. Like, I don't even really like change. A lot of times, I don't either. It's scary. It's it is scary. You know, I'm in my older age. I'm I'm a little more like comfortable with it because so much has changed in my life, and it's mm-hmm. always been for the most part for the better. So it's not like sometimes that change isn't permanent either you know you just kind of take it day by day <laughs> all right we're, we're we're going off into something else but uh <laughs> no, you're good bro you're good all right cool yeah so i guess jumping right back on track um obviously like i just want to say like lower definition man like even before i listened to you guys um i knew the kind of jumping into greatest of all lost arts like i knew of that record and i had never even heard it like that album art was just everywhere. Like yeah, I your name people, was everywhere. I'd hear people talking about it. I'd see pictures on on MySpace or on whatever I was on, and it, it was everywhere. And I feel like it really like impacted the post-hardcore kind of genre, almost like a quintessential album for that for that time and that genre. Thanks, man. So I guess kind of what I wanted to talk to you about is like, were you guys kind of? I know in a, a recent interview, you guys were talking about how you were kind of disappointed by how it was received initially and do you think that it kind of picked up steam maybe like later on and became more of that quintessential album as time went on that's exactly what happened 
we we wrote something that we wanted to hear i want to say like we were almost like not even thinking of the fans when we wrote that like we weren't like oh this band's doing this and they're blowing up like we got to do that too kind of thing like we weren't really sticking to any like mold of the genre that we were in we were just kind of like writing stuff that we wanted to hear and i don't know it was weird like when the album released i think people were expecting something else they were expecting us to kind of like stick with the the mold that was laid out by everybody else or something Mm -hmm. so when it released and it didn't like do that great we were like kind of upset by that we were like dude what the hell nobody likes our album but we liked it i mean a lot of people liked it it's not like nobody liked it and it didn't do well it just didn't do i mean we didn't need to be on a record label to do that I guess basically is what I'm saying. It probably would have been cooler if we weren't on a record label and did that because of the kind of push it had. Like it was almost like a major release. Um, We were signed to Ferret and they had distribution with Sony Red and you know they had a lot of a lot of really like smart people working for them that knew how to market. I don't know. I guess it might have been underwhelming for people because they didn't even know what the hell it was that we were doing. Because we didn't either. We were just like, yeah, we like this. This is cool. This is like, you know, a transition. And it was kind of like our sophomore record. And I think everybody that does their, like, sophomore record or second record, it's usually like, what the hell? What are they doing, you know? Or, like, what? it's kind of like when you're stepping out and, like, being artsy-fartsy, I guess. Yeah, it was just, I don't know. It's an awesome album, though. Oh, and then, like, I don't know, five years later, everybody's like, Grace of All Lost Arts is the best album ever, and, like, this album saved my life. And it's like, what the hell, dude? That's so crazy. Like, I didn't think anybody cared, you know? But it was, like, five years later. And then, you know, ten years later, it's like people are still talking about it. And it's just weird. Music is very weird. Like, I don't think there's anybody that really knows how how it works you know does that make sense yeah i think so yeah it's kind of like you don't uh, by the sounds of what you're describing it's like you guys are writing an album that you thought sounded really cool and things and you don't you never know kind of what how it's going to be received yeah because music is so you know so vast yeah and it's it's like you could literally do anything and that's why a lot of people get into it is because there's no rules and right and Obviously, like when you guys are writing this album, recording it, you went with uh, Chris Crummett, and obviously he's been like a huge powerhouse and like pumping out like, like how I was saying before, albums that are like staples in in certain times and like genres. Like, right. so he's made some of my favorite records, like the Amorosa self-titled record, like all the Dance Gavin Dance records. Like he's made some amazing albums, and obviously he's done yours. Like, what was it kind of like uh, working with him on that? Like, did you guys kind of have all the songs laid out? Uh, prior to going in or did he help you kind of yeah. shape them yeah so we another thing about that album was the label we got signed off of the weatherman single that we released yes. and all of a sudden it was like labels were we had rise we had ferret we had victory and they're all like oh what do you guys want like you know i think victory was like we'll buy you guys bulldogs I was like, I'm in a house, dude. What am I going to do with a dog? You know? <laughs> I'm poor. <laughs> so, um, yeah. That's yeah, really 
fucking weird. It like, is. Dude. Are they yeah, are they breeding weird. dogs to entice people to join bands? Or yeah, I don't know. Like, have a weird, weird. like what the hell? Yeah. It's not a car. <laughs> I know. Like, buy me a whip, dude. We yeah, we signed with Ferret. What was the question? I'm so sorry. Oh no, you're good. What was it like, kind of working with Chris Kermit? Like, did you guys have the songs kind of laid out? Prior? Right, right, right. Sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, so we got signed, and we were we started listening to albums that had been like kind of being released more recently to like when we were, you know, starting to write, and we found Chris Crummit and we were like, dude, this guy's stuff sounds amazing. It's like super like organic, and you can I don't know, it just it breathes differently than anything that was coming out at that point the label was like all right you guys have three months you have three months to write the album and then that fourth month you're going to be recording the album with chris Crummit. so like go so we got into our little practice space down in san diego locked ourselves in there for like three months given moz took six months to write so the greatest of all lost arts was written in three months which Holy is shit. like pretty gnarly because i think it's like 11 or 12 songs i think it's 12 and songs. you had one song written prior to that and that was weatherman or did you have more yeah we had only written the weatherman and then we had started the ocean the beast okay. and the choreographer yeah so we just like cranked out as many songs as we could and we didn't even have like enough music to have like b-sides or like anything like that it was like these are all going on the album because we have to have all we like, got. An album, i hope it's right? good <laughs> yeah that's all we got but we did it and we were like just so stoked that we were signed and like you know there's just like this this feeling like when you're on a record label and you're young and you're like dude we're doing it all we have to do is like write this record and like we're gonna be on tour the rest of our lives <laughs> yeah so we went to the studio and uh I think like the first couple of days with Chris, he had us just playing the songs live and he sat there on the ground with a notebook and just made notes um, of things he heard. Like, I, I don't know, like if like Eddie was doing a lead, he'd be like, oh dude, that'd be so sick. If there's like some like super heavy delay on that and like some reverb and, you know, or like a tremolo effect or whatever. And so he was kind of doing like his little production notes and then Tina went in, started laying down drums, and then Eddie. Oh, mind you, it was only Eddie, Stefan, Tino, and myself. We were a four-piece at the time. Mm-hmm. So all that guitar that you hear on that album is all Eddie. Wow. Which is pretty rowdy. He was doesn't... Was guitars, or was that him using like loops or anything like that? That's him just layering guitars. Like, literally, like, wrote rhythm, leads, layers all that like extra stuff it's pretty crazy it was crazy to watch too because like he wrote a lot of that when we got out there he like had all his main parts and then like just kept adding stuff and doing things differently and i was like damn dude you're crazy cranking it out yeah i was like jesus how are we gonna do this live but yeah eddie's eddie's like oh man dude blows my mind every time i watch him play guitar so crazy Anyway. So how, how the Johnny Craig end up on that album? Was that the Chris Crummit connection? No. Uh, we So we had a, had a relationship with Johnny from meeting him. And um, we just called him up. We're like, hey, dude, um, we're in the studio doing an album right now. You want to be on it? 
And he's like, yeah, let me find a studio. So he found a studio and we sent him there like the next day. And I sent him lyrics and placement. And I was like, all right, I want you right here. I want you right here and here. And then he's like, all right, for sure. So then he goes to the studio and the engineer at the studio calls. I can tell this story, but the engineer at the studio calls Tino. The guy's like, hey, man. I got this guy here. His name's uh, Johnny. He's like really wasted, dude. He's like trashed. I think he's drunk. (laughs) And we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's Johnny. What's up? What do you need, dude? You know? And he's like, yeah, we just had some questions about the song. And we like looked up the uh, recording studio and it was like a, it was like a Christian studio. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. And Johnny's just in there like, you know, doing his thing. And. And we're like sitting there like, dude, I hope this is good. Like, I hope whatever he sends back is like going to make it because we're, we're running out of time here. We got to get back home. Yeah. So we talked to the, the engineer for a minute and he's like, all right, cool. Thank you. And hung up the phone. And then like an hour later, they send the vocals over and it's like, we're like, holy shit, dude. So <laughs> sick. Oh my God. I can't believe he did that drunk, you know? Well, you know, he wrote the first downtown battle mountain completely blacked out to the point where like they were holding him up to the microphone yeah and they had to go back and write lyrics Lyrics. they weren't sure what he fucking said so they're like yeah he said this yeah so yeah he was in his uh you know his best recording state of mind (laughs) right yeah 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 pure gold baby (laughs) improv master (laughs) right yeah so yeah that that happened we were we were super stoked on that song, Johnny's. Johnny's one talented dude. How would um I guess how would you say like the briefly the differences from like writing moths in the studio with uh oh Brian Brian yeah Brian versus Crummit like how is what are those differences in terms of like writing and recording? They're two totally different people, um, totally different backgrounds. Um, Chris is a drummer played in a lot of bands and stuff and brian is a singer and he's also classically trained and Mm -hmm. he writes like movie scores and stuff okay so his his approach to music has a lot more like theory involved and a lot more um like this is what's right kind of thing and this is how how you get what you want kind of thing okay and i felt like um chris was more experimental um he was more willing to try things that might be like kind of like scary to other producers maybe not so much scary to brian but maybe to other producers they'd be like i don't i don't know dude i don't know if that's gonna work or i don't know if we should waste time trying that because it's just costing money kind of thing right but chris has like a really good sense of what works and how to you know he's got a boatload of equipment and um a lot of like really nice amps and pedals and even some really nice guitars that Eddie got to like kind of fool around with. Yeah. I think both experiences were like amazing. Like I love both those dudes, but um, yeah, you can't really like compare them, you know, just different, just totally different. Experience. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It does sound like a crummit album. You could just hear I don't know how he does it. Like he creates space for every single instrument. Like you never, yeah, you never miss like 
a note. You don't have to fuck with your audio settings to find that like baseline guitar track or yeah. baseline. Like it's it's always just there and in your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much all of the guests we've had on besides uh Thomas Eric uh used him, so Oh really? Yeah, I mean there's a reason why everybody goes to him, you know, he's he's crazy. And and Brian now he focuses more on like writing. Um, he does, like I said, film scoring. He does video games, like TV shows, things like that. And he like actually writes stuff for people and gets his money that way. If you guys get the chance, um, go on YouTube and look up Brian Greider, Born Identity. Okay. Okay. Um, it's him conducting an orchestra um, when he was in college. He went to UCLA and got his film scoring degree. And um, he wrote a score for the Born Identity and got to conduct it with what? the Warner Brothers Orchestra. And, dude, it is, like, insanely sick. Like, I don't know. Probably, really like, the cool. coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, he's just, like... <laughs> you know up there and i'm just like dude because i i went i went and recorded some other material with him um like after he graduated and um he's like you want to see something i just did and i was like yeah dude and he showed me that and i was like who are you dude you went from this like punk rock like dude now you got like a suit and tie conducting orchestras like <laughs> but yeah he's uh he was pulling a full like Clark Kent Superman thing on you. Yeah, dude, he's just he's another amazing musician. Like, I don't know, there's so many of them out there, you know, like it's crazy. And it's cool too that we're like kinda on this like dance Gavin dance thing because they are all so talented, you know. And like, I don't know. It's just I got lucky meeting those dudes and like getting to experience like touring with them and I mean even the tour that um Lower D did with them, like we were we were always surrounded by the best, I guess, which was awesome. We got to learn a lot from them and be friends with them and see the world with them too, which is right. it's crazy. it sounds it sounds like you really like your whole process through you personally as a musician and then getting into lower D you guys have kinda of like tailored your band and tailored everything to like create the best version of yourselves and like your band. And it's right. just interesting to hear the process. And you've been surrounded by such amazing musicians so it's yeah. very like like you're saying it, it, i can imagine how humbling and how like inspiring it must be all at the same time mm-hmm. while also being the best at what you do <laughs> ah, thanks man i don't i don't think i'm the best or we're the <laughs> best but you know like we we definitely try really hard to like to like our own music you know we started out doing this for ourselves for fun and i think you know, maybe along the way, there was some times where we were like, all right, like, how can we blow this up? Like, we want to, we want to get big, dude. We want to, we want to be able to do this forever, you know? And there was a little bit of that, but then, you know, it was, it always came back to just writing stuff that we wanted to hear and we wanted to have fun and play our instruments and like, you know? Yeah. I think, I think that's what creates your, 
you know, if we're, we're talking about the Lost Ark, the Lost Arts album, like that's what created even your band in general. So created, you know, the popularity and like the authenticity of your music. Like you guys, from what you're saying and what I'm understanding about you talking about the band and your experience is that it was very authentic. Like you wrote songs that you guys like really cared about and really like believed in, and you did it. I feel like for all the right reasons, and it translated to the fan base and translated to people listening maybe it took a couple more years for people to like really dig it but like you know i think that's why it stands the testament of time like it it's an honest record and it's, it's definitely it, aged so well no. as oh, someone yeah. who like only had you guys were on my like post hardcore playlist at the time because that that time was like when i was just starting to get into it yeah and you know so like later on in life i kind of went back and listen to it and by later on i mean like within the last two years and oh, it it doesn't sound dated it doesn't sound old it it's pretty it's pretty great what you guys did there awesome thank you yeah that that gets thrown around a lot like the stands the test of time and then somebody said like you guys are before your time and i'm like dude that that makes so much sense like when you're not thinking about what's going to sell and you're just thinking about what you want to hear, I think that's kind of how it works out. Not everybody will want to hear that, you know, but then I don't know, eventually it becomes like a thing. Yeah. They weren't ready. Yeah. And like when we were writing and recording that, like so much good stuff was coming out. I remember, I don't know if you guys are into hip hop or anything, but like, Lupe Fiasco came out with that Kick Push song. Yep. And then, like, his whole album was, like, so real and so, like, it almost just seemed, like, unedited. And just, it was, like, him just talking to you. And I think I was really inspired by that. And then, like, Say Anything, um, another band. You guys listen to them? Say Anything? Yeah, Max Bemis and stuff. He was another person that was just kind of, like, doing his thing. You know, he was... It was like he was writing songs to remember or to like... That was Max Bemis, right? Yeah, yeah, Max Bemis. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I still bump him every now and then. I'm like, dude, these songs were so crazy good. And there's there's still nothing coming out like that right now that's like as good as that in that vein, you know? Right. I'd recommend checking out uh, Bill Murray's new album, Eggie Oh, dude. Oh, my God. It is. I love Bill Murray. I, yeah. Shout out Bill Murray. Dude, so he was looking for somebody to engineer for him in San Diego. And I was like, I have a studio. Like, I'll, whatever you need to do, whatever. And then he uh, he told me he needed to record his saxophone player for one hour on like a Wednesday night. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm working 10s. I have to get up at like 4 a.m. There's like no way I can do that. And I ghosted him. So he probably oh. hates he probably hates me. Oh, <laughs> but, uh, Shit, dude, now we're gonna I, have I, you on, he's not gonna come on and be like Matt Guy's oh, in Yeah. He he honestly he probably doesn't even know who I am. Um <laughs> it was just like a quick like Instagram DM little conversation. Yeah, when I found out about him I found out about him through uh Punk Rock MDA, I think it was. You guys ever check that out? Yep. Yeah, I was like blown away. I couldn't believe he was an attack attack. Yeah, right? Different. What? The glow up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, Bill Murray is so sick. 
I'm oh, I like Attack Attack. Don't 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 get it twisted. I'm an Attack Attack fan. Oh yeah, I love them too. Yeah. <laughs> so let's. Uh, we've talked about the good times and how like you guys got on tour and you you know you were living the dream and you're like I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life. Like, mm-hmm. uh, what what happened? Oh I'm, man. I know. <laughs> da 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 da. And that concludes part one of our interview with Matt Geise. Get ready for part two, where we talk about the band breaking up, getting back together, and the new album. See you then.